morning, America. Great Sunday morning to you. Welcome to the Wyatt Wright Show. We've got a fantastic new show for you today. It's about voting rights. There's been a lot happening in this arena, a lot going on in Texas, a lot going on in the United States. And, in fact, the U.S. Supreme Court gave us a recent decision to chew on. We're going to talk about that today. But my name is Wyatt Wright, and this show is about our rights and the laws that govern us. Rights you've heard of and would care about and would certainly miss if they were gone. I've spent half a lifetime watching government going from trying to do what's right and failing to, well, trying to do what's wrong and succeeding. Each year, more and more of our personal rights are erased from the books, and we're standing idly by while it happens, and it's not because we don't care, America. Of course we care. We're all busy raising our families, feeding our kids. While we're busying ourselves with life, The metaphorical water temperature is rising all around us, kind of like that frog who gets boiled without ever knowing it. On this show, we talk about specific legal rights that affect you and me, the people of Texas, the people of America. We take a hard look at the laws that affect your freedom, your ability to access the courts, to vote, to speak freely, or or in short, just to live the American dream. Well, we're going to jump right in and get wet today. We've mentioned it before. Dozens of states now have laws designed to impede voters getting to the ballot box, not help them, slow them down. Widespread deliberate efforts to prevent or discourage millions of Americans from getting to that ballot box on voting day, keep people from exercising their democratic right to vote, the elderly, students, minorities, Immigrants, veterans, the list goes on. Ohio Senator Sherrod Brown points out that rather than protecting the right to vote, what we're seeing in America is a brazen attempt around the country to undermine it. Why would any democracy-loving, flag-waving American do this? Well, now many states are requiring that draconian hurdles to providing uh, or proving, rather, one's identity be uh, jumped through in order to even get to the first step of acquiring a voter registration card. Ladies and gentlemen, the reason is simple. Big business spending money to influence the vote so that it is harder and harder for ordinary Americans to have their voice heard on any given subject. If you can't win on the issues... If you can't win on the issues, then cheat by changing the procedures about who can vote. That is a pretty low blow. For decades, we've had the Voting Rights Act in place here in America. It it, it was designed to protect disenfranchised minorities from being made more victims in this case, at the ballot box. Recently, the United States Supreme Court has, uh, for uh, better or worse, I say for worse, largely eviscerated this law. And to help us understand that topic a little better, we need to get an expert in here. We need to have a fabulous guest, which, in fact, we have in the studio with us today. Joining us in the studio today is attorney Jose Garza, who has a demonstrated history of sticking up for those in need. Mr. Garza is currently the attorney for the Mexican-American Legislative Caucus. Mr. Garza served with MALDEF for 10 years and as the director of litigation for Texas Rio Grande Legal Aid for over a decade. He's the author of History, Latinos in Redistricting, and is also a past adjunct professor at the University of Texas Law School 
and St. Mary's University. Mr. Garza, thank you so much for joining us today on The White Right Show. Well, thank you for having me. Uh, you know, this is an important topic, and it's great to have folks involved, uh, such as yourself, who can help shed some light on this. I, like many other Americans, probably watched this opinion come out and sat there in awe, wondering, what does this really mean? I mean, here we are, 48 years ago to the week, after President Johnson signed uh, the Voting Rights Act into law. Uh, what kind of shockwaves, briefly, uh, did the recent court's opinion do to uh, the Voter Voting Rights Act, and what shockwave did that send through the community of folks trying to preserve people's rights such as yourself? Well, it was it was very uh, traumatic, as you might expect. There's This law has been on the books, as you say, for 48 years, and for good reason. Uh, it didn't cover the entire country. It covered portions of the country okay. that had demonstrated a particular uh, uh, practice over the over those decades of keeping minorities from voting. Um, so it wasn't a it wasn't everywhere in the in the country. It was specific evidence that was presented to the Congress that showed that places like Texas historically have gone about the business of keeping minorities from the ballot box. So whether it's Democrats who are in charge or Republicans who are in charge, it really didn't matter. Over this long, tragic history, things like the white primary were instituted, the poll tax, at-large elections, gerrymandered redistricting, the list goes on and on. And that's why Texas and Alabama and states like that were covered under the Voting Rights Act. Okay, and and you know, I, I guess uh, uh, what you said makes a lot of sense to me. This happened, this renewal of the Voting Rights Act uh, happened several times. I mean, it happened in 1970 with uh, Richard Nixon, it happened in 1975 with Gerald Ford, happened in 82 with Reagan, and again with uh, George W. Bush in 2006. So this was really a bipartisan effort. In fact, when it was originally passed 48 years ago, it was authored by a Republican. So you're telling me that this was a bipartisan effort that, that that is, is now been undone to some degree. That's correct. The the most recent enactment, as you said, in 2006, was almost unanimously wow. passed wow. by the Congress. Wow. One of the primary sponsors was Congressman Sensenbrenner from from a Republican from Wisconsin, and he was shocked when the Shelby County decision came out. And it. So they went for months receiving testimony. Do we still need the Voting Rights Act? Is there still a problem out there in the country in these particular jurisdictions? And the overwhelming evidence was that it was in a number of ways. All right. And and I want to talk to you a little bit about why uh, uh, people ought to be worried about this. What the Voting Rights Act did, and stop me uh, where I'm wrong and correct me, but what the Voting Rights Act did in, in part was set up a procedure whereby states who had a demonstrated behavior uh, had to get clearance from the federal government uh, uh, in order to hold certain elections to show that the, the procedures that they set out were fair to all minorities and all parties involved. Is that close? That's, that's exactly it. Okay. Um, so the state of Texas could not implement a voting change all right. unless it secured approval from Washington, D.C. in one form or another. Okay, and, and this makes sense. So I'd like to uh, to share this quote from a 1964 United States Supreme Court case uh, wherein the court held, while it may not be possible to draw congressional districts with mathematical precision, 
That is no excuse for ignoring our Constitution's plain objective of making equal representation for equal numbers of people. And what I get out of that is that this issue of, of gerrymandering is what really, is what really bothers me. And, and you mentioned it, where we deliberately distort the district boundaries, either for partisan or political or personal uh, reasons. And so it's not enough, is it? To merely say that these districts are equal in population, because if we did that, we would be ignoring the fact that there are other interests which are being diluted, such as uh, a race or beliefs or cultures uh, that could be unequally divided. Is that close? That's that's exactly right. Gotcha. So the lines that are drawn for redistricting, and in 1964, the court was right. It, it Getting precise equal population was very difficult. Today, it's not. Today, the computers that we use for I redistricting see. are so precise, you can go down to the block level to make a determination of who gets in and who gets out. And the population information that a map drawer has makes the ability to, to be very creative and know exactly what the outcome is going to be of that election and the impact. And this is the important thing in terms of the Voting Rights Act, the impact that you're having on the minority community. For instance, let me give you an example. Please. You know, we've had these redistricting battles over the last few years here in Texas in federal court here in San Antonio. Correct. And one of the things that was being argued was, yes, we know that some of these lines splintered a minority community, but we weren't trying to discriminate against minorities. We were trying to protect a Republican incumbent or we were trying to protect a Democratic incumbent. So the map drawer took the stand and that was his testimony. I see. And then we showed him dozens and dozens and dozens of voting precincts that were split in his map drawing process. And so we asked him, what information do you have on the partisan makeup of a precinct when you split it? You don't have any. Right. You sure. have a voting results. Sure. You know how a voting precinct voted, but you don't know how the, the individual, the left side or the right side of Understood. a precinct voted. But you know what the race of the right side and the left side are. So when you split a precinct and you put Anglo voters on one side and Mexican-American voters on the other side, you know exactly what you're doing. Yeah, and, and that really, of course, is, is part of the whole troublesome issue that we're, that we're tackling. Ladies and gentlemen, if you just tuned in, uh, you're listening to the Wyatt Wright Show. I'm Wyatt Wright, and we're sitting here today visiting with attorney uh, Jose Garza, talking about the Voting Rights Act and the recent United States Court's opinion that dramatically affected it. Now, uh, Mr. Garza, here's something that, that uh, I found interesting. And when Chief Justice Roberts wrote for the Supreme Court in the recent case, which basically, at least the effect of it, was that states such as Texas and and Alabama and others no longer have to seek pre-clearance to these elections. Is that true? That's right. All right. So that's the net effect. But I noticed that his reasoning, the stated reasoning, seemed to make some sense on a very cursory level, but it didn't take long for uh, my young daughter, when I was explaining this to her, to spot it. And she said, but Dad, uh, it seems to me that the Voting Rights Act was working. And, and you told me that Justice Roberts said that we don't need it anymore because things are going smoothly. If you read 
Justice uh, Ginsburg's dissent, she says something which I found was remarkable. She said, it seems to me that the majority's principal error concisely uh, is summed up in this statement. Throwing out preclearance when it has worked and is continuing to work to stop discriminatory changes is akin to throwing away your umbrella in a rainstorm because you're not getting wet. I mean, is this really what it's come down to, this concept that things look like they're okay, therefore let's let's throw away the, the safety net? Well, that that's exactly right. That's what Justice Roberts' reasoning was, that Things aren't the way they used to be in 1954 or right. 1960 right. or even 1970. Things have improved. After all, we have a black president. But, you know, as I mentioned earlier, the Voting Rights Act, this particular provision of the Voting Rights Act doesn't apply across the country. It applies to certain regions of the country that have shown a history and a, a, um, an attitude in, in developing voting changes that have an impact on the minority community. So, yes, things may have improved, but in Texas, over the last four decades, there's never been a redistricting that hasn't been challenged and in which the minority community has not won. That is, we have proven that it's needed, needed, even currently. And, you know, one of the things I think that was was, um, uh, unfortunate is that there were lots of states that were challenging this provision of the Voting Rights Act. And it was unfortunate that it wasn't Texas that got there first. Because one of our principal arguments would have been, look at exhibit number one, the 2011 redistricting process in Texas. And that'll tell you why the Voting Rights Act ought to be remain in place. Yeah, that makes a whole lot of sense. And, and part of, of, of Justice Roberts' um, um, reasoning was, look, things that never happened before are now happening. Look at the fact that the mayor of Selma, uh, Alabama, is black. Well, my goodness, uh, the Voting Rights Act works because, by the way, the majority of, of citizens there are, are black. It doesn't surprise me that a person is, is able to be elected when everybody gets the opportunity to vote. I mean, that really is what it boils down to. And the other point is exactly what Justice Ginsburg warned about. If you take that protection away, what's going to happen next? And again, the state of Texas is exhibit A on that one because General Abbott immediately announced that a plan for for identifying voters that come into the polling place that was determined by the district court in the District of Columbia to be discriminatory and to have been adopted with a discriminatory purpose, General Abbott said, we are enforcing that immediately now that the Shelby County has said this provision doesn't apply to Texas. Okay. Now, is does this mean that, that this is the end of the road? I mean, what do we do if we're the type of folks who say we want fairness, we want equality at the voting booth. Uh, what can we do? Is there anything left in this Voting Rights Act that's, that, that at least gives us some hope that there's, there's light at the end of the tunnel? Or do we have to go back to Congress and try and fix this? Well, the, this isn't uh, um, an either-or uh, kind of, of circumstance. It, it is important that efforts be made to make the modifications that Justice Roberts indicated he thought were necessary to, right. to reinstitute this provision. But in the meantime, uh, the Voting Rights Act was not declared unconstitutional, only a particular provision of the Voting Rights Act. Right. And there are still protections in the Voting Rights Act for the minority community. They're more onerous. 
they're more expensive to enforce uh but we should be proceeding with with those with those efforts there's another provision too that is of particular import to texas uh it's called 3c or the the uh the pocket trigger in some in some places it's it's called and what it is is a provision of the voting rights act that says even in jurisdictions that are not covered by the preclearance provision if a court determines that a jurisdiction a city or a school district or in this case the state of texas has behave, been behaving badly toward the minority community a court can require for whatever duration that court determines is appropriate, continued compliance with Section 5. So we're anticipating moving forward and trying to show the court here in San Antonio that Texas should merits continued coverage under Section 5 under Section 3C. Okay, and and what what I'm what it, uh, continues to bother me is that the rationale uh, you mentioned of General Abbott and some others for wanting to push uh, ridiculous legislation which has no basis in in fact uh, of solving or preventing any type of fraud or crime uh, that this is going to become more prevalent. We're going to see more and more arguments for this type of legislation. Are you saying then that in each of those cases, should such legislation occur? or in the case of the voter ID law, that those can be challenged anew in the federal court here. Yes, and that's that's one of the problems with not having Section 5. So with Section 5 coverage, there are, as you know, in each election cycle, hundreds and perhaps thousands of voting changes that occur across the state. As, as small as perhaps a voting precinct change and as significant as changing completely the structure for electing city councils. Now, in the minority community, we could wait and sit back and watch as those things occurred, knowing that none of those could be approved until they were submitted to the Department of I Justice. See. And if we were alerted to some some practice like that, like, for instance, um, re-implementing at-large elections or something sure. of that sort, we knew that we had a venue and we had an opportunity to challenge those. Without Section 5, what you just indicated is what's necessary. In each instance in which we are able to identify that we become aware of a change that impacts adversely in the minority community, we will have to do a first time challenge all right, on see. that with, with with the court with the court yeah. with all of the the re- resources that are required for for major federal litigation uh, so you have to know about it then you have to have the resources to challenge it but there are avenues to do that gotcha uh you know the thing that bothers me uh to some degree before going any further if you just tuned in uh you're listening to the Wyatt Wright show uh we're sitting here today visiting with attorney Jose Garza and we're talking about the recent uh supreme court opinion regarding the federal voting rights act uh mr garza one of the things that that seems to well troubles me anyway and i i think it perhaps troubles others we have a few people sitting on the Supreme Court. Uh, we have large numbers of congressmen. We have 435 representatives. We have 100 senators, all of whom are elected uh, to some degree every two years. Uh, the makeup of it changes to every two years when representatives are, are, are up for election. We have these folks who more accurately, it seems to me, represent the will of the country. It's certainly easier to say that a larger sampling pool can yield you better results. It's the Congress that continues to reenact the Voting Rights Act. How appropriate is it for the Supreme Court to come in now 
after the Supreme Court had spoken in 1965 and said this passed muster, to come in now and change this. Well, I think that was one of the things that troubled legal scholars about this particular decision, is that historically the Congress has been given great deference by the courts, uh, and, and only the most um, uh, obvious uh, infringements on on the populace uh, rights has the courts intervened. And in this situation, as you said, we've had continuous review of the Voting Rights Act, not just by the Congress, but by the courts. And over and over again, it's been found to be constitutional. And over and over again, uh, reauthorizations have passed overwhelmingly in a bipartisan way in the Congress. And until now. Until 2000, until 2013 in the Shelby County case in a, in a very, uh, uh, evenly divided court, uh, and with, with emotions running high, uh, did the court decide that in this instance it had to, uh, put aside the, the Voting Rights Act. Alright, so here we are. We're sitting in Texas in 2013. There are folks out there who are salivating at this opinion and saying to themselves, aha, we have the opportunity to draw lines without Big Brother looking over our shoulder. If I am nefariously minded, what does that mean to me? What green light have I been given in terms of trying to stack the the deck, as it were, in my particular political favor? Well, I think the the... You know, the proof of the puddings in the eating, it's already started. Oh, it has, yes. Yes, it has. So we have the, as we mentioned earlier, uh, General Abbott saying he's going to enforce the photo ID law. And think about it. And the photo ID law, you have to present uh, a photo identification to be allowed to vote. And it has to match the name on your uh, voter registration uh, certificate. Now, so everybody thinks, well, the only people that's going to hurt are very, very poor people, and it will, and minorities, and it will. But it's also, think about it, if you have a voting uh, judge, it's it's in his or her discretion, comes in with a voter that he knows is opposed to his political affiliation, and there's a difference between your driver's license name and your voter registration name. He doesn't have to let you vote. So if you were married and changed your name but didn't change and changed your driver's license but didn't change your voter registration card, you may not get to vote because those things don't match. Suppose that you don't have a driver's license, but you do have a college ID with your picture on it. You go to the polls and you try to vote with your voter registration card and your college ID. Can't do it. That's not one of the allowed uh uh, identifiers that you can have. Suppose that you have an ID for your place of employment. You're a federal employee. You have sure. to have an ID to sure. get into the base or to get sure. into the building. You go to vote with your federal ID that has your picture on it and present it to the election judge. Doesn't matter. That's not good enough. You can't use, you can't, can't use that. What you can use is, is oh, your concealed carry. Your concealed yeah, right. carry, right. 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 Not, yeah, and then, then you wonder if they're carrying. You know, and, and this bothers me. I, I see that, 
I, I mean, I really get worked up over this because it's it's clearly uh, designed uh, uh, to exclude people, not include people. The the demonstrated history of voter fraud is virtually nil. I mean, George Bush set up a task force for seven years that didn't prosecute a single person for voter ID fraud. Uh, and and you know, I, I hear people like Lindsey Graham, Senator Lindsey Graham, who have so often said, "Well, but you know, after 9/11, we need really need to be careful because some of those hijackers, uh, uh, you know, were using fake IDs." Yeah. I get that, but but wait a minute here. They didn't use a fake ID to stop at the local precinct and vote on their way to getting on those planes. Right. I mean, that wasn't the issue we're talking about here. So certainly uh, identity theft is one issue, but when you're talking about proving up your ability to vote, it's another. Let me ask you this. I, I am aware, I was a police officer for almost 20 years, and I'll tell you that I saw many times in the uh, a, a Latin community, people whose surnames uh, didn't match uh, identities because or identification cards because in some instances they would use the the mother's name last name as their surname uh, in other instances it would be reversed is that the type of situation that's going to keep somebody from voting that's exactly right I mean for instance uh, uh, when I was growing up uh, my mother's maiden name was Delaunay and I was very proud of that so I would be Jose Delaunay Garza but my birth certificate was Jose Garza my driver's license was Jose Garza, but my voter registration card was Jose de la Une Garza. Right. Yeah, and so you'd be in that situation. Well, this has been fascinating. Uh, Really quickly, what do people do to voice their disagreement with the way this is being handled? Well, I think that it's very important to cast a vote. Um, Your your best way to to, uh, uh, make political change is to participate. And even though there are obstacles that are being put in our pl- in our way that ought to be even more of an incentive to go to the polls to vote your vote does matter and the only way that politicians across this state and across this country are going to know that uh, that these decisions are impacting is for us to turn out to vote absolutely wonderful and well spoken thank you so much for joining us today mr garza Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, Attorney Jose Garza is currently the attorney for the Mexican-American Legislative Caucus. He's a past law school professor and a stalwart champion for equality in the voting booth. Ladies and gentlemen, people are losing access to justice every week. The integrity of our justice system is oftentimes the only thing left to preserve our rights and liberties We've got to guard it. We have to watch out for it. Our courts give us a venue to complain, and the ballot box gives you the right to make decisions about the direction of your country. If we're not all accountable for our actions, the rule of law will mean very little indeed. Don't let it happen. Our children deserve better. We're going to have to wrap up this show, but as you go through your week, remember, it was Justice Learned Hand who so famously said, if we are to keep our democracy, there must be one commandment. Thou shalt not ration justice. Have a good day, everybody. Come visit us on the web at WyattWrightShow.com. Like us on Facebook or Twitter. Subscribe to our podcast at the iTunes Store. Do something, but whatever you do, make sure you come back next week for more good stuff right here on the Wyatt Wright Show. Bye.